I'm Mary Parker, and welcome to this episode of Eureka's Sounds of Science. As we approach the end of 2019, I wanted to discuss some of the hot research areas that might reduce the time between drug discovery and drug approval. Joining me are two Charles River scientists from the UK, Ian Waddell, Executive Director of Biology, and Chris Hill, Executive Director of Chemistry. They are here to share their opinions on which biomedical breakthroughs could have big effects on the industry in 2020, AI and early discovery, and better biomarker testing in the early stages of drug development. Welcome, Ian and Chris. Hi, Mary. Hi, Mary. Let's start with AI. Can you each tell me what excites you most about the potential for artificial intelligence in speeding up drug development? Hi, Mary. This is Chris. Um, I think over recent years, we've seen vast amounts of data being generated supporting drug discovery and development activities. And uh, the ability to be able to appropriately analyze that and to use it predictably move, moving forward is a, is a wonderful opportunity, I think, for us uh, in drug discovery and development. I think there are two main areas that particularly excite me with respect to AI. One is with respect to looking at identifying new potential targets uh, through pathway analysis of biological systems. And that can then guide wet target validation experiments to make sure that we're working on the right targets at the right time. The second area I think that um, probably is more ripe for, uh, for, for an AI type approach is really in the, the chemistry area and that's at looking at generating uh, multiple diverse high quality starting points for small molecule drug discovery and AI capabilities now I think can, can help in that way in terms of de novo ligand design, in terms of predicting binding affinities, in terms of synthetic root design, and in terms of predicting ADMI properties. So potentially it could have a huge impact in drug discovery. Hi Mary, it's Ian talking now. Uh, the only thing I would add to what, what Chris has said is, I think one of the most exciting developments that AI will, well, the direction that it will take us in is actually trying to predict talks early. So at the point where we're actually thinking about efficacy and is the drug actually going to be efficacious in the, in the, in the disease setting that we're thinking about, is it actually going to have toxic effects or target effects that, that, that we can use AI to help predict very early in the process? That would probably save a lot of money because usually when you get to toxicology, it's kind of far down the line, right? Well, that's exactly right. It's it's what we want to do is this is really all part of a project that's about taking a year or what we're aiming to do is to take a year off drug discovery. And the sooner that we can make that sort of discovery, as soon as we can, the, the earlier that we can determine that we have a tox issue, the sooner that we can actually ask the chemist to try and design compounds to to move away from that effect that we don't want. So to focus on the disease effect that we do want and move away from the toxicology or safety concerns that, 
the molecule may well end up having. So the two areas that you mentioned, I understand that AI is most valuable for distilling large data sets down into something digestible and actually useful. So are those the two areas where you have giant amounts of data that need to be processed? I think that we're actually uncertain at the moment as to where we're going to have the biggest impact within drug discovery and, and development. So the pragmatic approach that we've taken is to work in collaboration with experts uh, in AI that are looking to develop technologies and capabilities in the different areas. And by working with them and combining their experience in technology with our experience in drug discovery and development, we feel we'll hit the sweet spot of working in the appropriate way to evaluate and develop the technology that's going to help us for the future. All right. So working with these AI experts, what kind of tasks could AI theoretically perform if it evolves at its current rate? So the kinds of things that it can do, I mentioned earlier. So one is de novo ligand design. That's something that we've really not been very successful at doing um, historically. So this is uh, in silico generation of ideas for molecules to, to make. Um, and the ideas that have come out historically have been pretty wacky ones that would look, look really challenging to make. But now we have the capability potentially not only to generate uh, what might look to medicinal chemists to be interesting targets, but also ones that are synthetically accessible and have the right kinds of properties. So it's basically the machine offering up what might be good ideas to the chemist? Indeed. All right, cool. We do virtual screens at the moment, but we could actually now, with the use of AI, do virtual screens against billions of, of compounds that don't actually exist. As an example of that, we put a collaboration in place with a company called Atomwise earlier this year that essentially can do if you like, ultra-high throughput virtual screening through predicting binding affinities to target proteins. Um, and that, that's a complementary technology to those that we already have. All right, switching gears now, we're also going to talk about biomarkers. So can we first start, just for my own benefit, by having you explain the importance of biomarkers in drug discovery? Like, what parts of drug discovery are they used for? Biomarkers are relevant at every stage of drug discovery, all the way from, as, as Chris was mentioning, target identification and target validation, through to selecting of patients, and actually, most importantly of all, monitoring clinical trials to make sure that, that, that we're actually seeing the effects in the disease setting that we want to see. In early discovery, which is the part of the organization that Chris and I both work in, we tend to focus most on what would be described as either target engagement biomarkers or if they were done in, a, in an in vivo setting, pharmacodynamic biomarkers. And they're very much about telling us that we're getting the compound to the right place at the right level for the right amount of time. However, what we're trying to do is change the way that we think about that and try and think of it in a, in a more of a disease setting because there's a whole range of different biomarkers and theoretically the work that we do at those very early stages 
could result in biomarkers that are that could also be used as prognostic or diagnostic biomarkers or predictive biomarkers. This might be getting a little off topic, but I read recently about a new drug that had been conditionally approved in China to treat Alzheimer's. But one of the weird things about it was that it wasn't affecting any of the biomarkers for Alzheimer's, any of the expected biomarkers for Alzheimer's. But it was showing cognitive improvement in the patients that took it compared to the placebo. So is it fair to say that we still need to do a lot of work on biomarkers, especially for more complex diseases that we don't entirely understand? Absolutely, absolutely. And in fact, that, that, that's a perfect example of why we need to be bringing the investigation of new and novel biomarkers much, much earlier into the disease, the, the drug discovery process. And Alzheimer's is famous almost for the classical biomarkers not actually truly uh, defining the disease setting. It's actually it's an example of two things. It's an example of where the classical biomarkers don't truly really define the disease, and it really emphasizes why we've got to get better at biomarker assessment and development much earlier in the disease process. So for next year, what are some promising potential advances for biomarkers? So the key thing for us, again, just to remind everyone that the key thing about this entire work stream is about trying to take a year off a standard drug discovery process. So in terms of biomarker development, there are two key things that are going to happen in 2020. The first one is really about better access to bioinformatics. And that ties back to what Chris was saying about AI. That gives us a much better ability to be able to make use of publicly available data. Uh, I think it's naive to think that even a company the size of Charles River has access to all the data that it needs. The second thing is really getting better access to disease state human material. But not only that, but with the clinical information behind it. And that tying in with the the bioinformatics will allow us to make a much better assessment of the disease relevance of certain targets, to think about proximal biomarkers, because unfortunately we can't always, the target itself would be the perfect biomarker, but in the vast majority of cases that isn't true. So we've got to find another biomarker that's either proximal, or if we're thinking of the later stages of the diseases, Ideally, we'd like a blood-borne biomarker or, or something that we can measure in material that's much more readily accessible than, for example, always taking a biopsy. Yeah. So you mentioned donated disease tissue. Could you explain the use of donor tissue in drug development? What stages of the process are the tissue models useful for? It's really all about helping us understand more about the target in the disease setting. So we would we use human disease material throughout the entire process. We tend to use it to help us understand the relevance of the target. But we use it as far back as target identification and target validation. Ideally, we would use it in terms of, of, of that uh, proximal biomarker analysis, so that either the pharmacodynamic or target engagement, but equally we would then be using it, making sure that the, the animal models that we used were relevant in terms of the human disease. So 
it, it goes back to it's exactly the same as biomarkers. We use that information, not necessarily always the material, sometimes the information behind the material at all stages of drug discovery. Can you give me an example of a recent advancement in biomarkers that you think will be typical for the way they'll be used in the future? Well, the, the ideal biomarker for any large farmer is if they can not only come up with the compound that targets the disease, but if they can also come up with a companion biomarker that effectively acts as the patient selection biomarker. Uh, HER2 was probably the first one of those. So HER2 was a diagnostic kit that was sold alongside Herceptin in, in breast cancer. Uh, and I think actually Roche probably made more money off the HER2 kit than they ever made off Herceptin. So that that's, and I'm not saying that, that Charles River will necessarily get into companion diagnostics, but if we are thinking very differently about the way that we interrogate biomarkers, the biomarkers that we develop in the very early stages of, of drug discovery could in some cases actually end up being used as patient selection biomarkers and thus could offer our clients the opportunity to develop companion diagnostics or companion biomarkers. So you mean by patient selection biomarkers, these would be biomarkers that would tell us whether or not the patient would respond to the drug? Exactly. So the, the example I gave earlier about ALK inhibitors, that's a fusion protein. So essentially what you would do is you would just use, you would just sequence over the gene. And in cases where you saw the fusion, you know that those patients would, would benefit from the drug. So that's a lung cancer specific example. So we've talked a little bit about 2020. What do you think might be some of the science fiction Star Trek advances of say 2050? Well, if we go back to the previous topic of AI, one of the things you could dream about is how to integrate artificial intelligence with wet automation. So in principle, one could do all of the things that I mentioned earlier in terms of generating de novo ligands, uh, predicting binding affinities, potency and selectivity, predicting the ADME properties, predicting the synthesis, having the automation perform the synthesis and analysis of compounds, and then feed them directly into an automated wet assay that would um, give you uh, direct information on the actual potency and selectivity of the compounds that were designed and their properties, and then feed that back into uh, an AI processor, which would then predict the next round of compounds. And you could get into a position where you could do the iterative drug discovery cycles without human intervention. In fact, so small companies were set up to try and establish this and made some limited progress towards that goal. And it's this I think it's a fact now that a number of companies, major pharma companies, are setting up laboratories to see if they can achieve that kind, that kind of goal, which if you could achieve it, one could imagine you could improve the efficiency, certainly in the early part of the drug discovery process. But I think it's a little way off now. Yeah. It sounds like you'd be taking away the most tedious parts of the chemist's job, but they would still be using their skills at later aspects where human intelligence might come in more handy. 
I think it would be inevitable that the wife one went in that direction. The skill sets required to uh, to support discovery operations might well evolve in a, in a slightly different direction to those at the moment. Yes. Yeah. I think that's also true of the, the biology elements as well. I mean, Chris was absolutely right. There are some examples of almost completely virtual labs, but they tend to only go up to very simple biochemical assays. Theoretically, at least, there's no reason why that technology can't develop to include more complex cellular assays, including 3D assays, and potentially at some stage actually involve efficacy studies as well. Although I suspect there would always be, from an ethical perspective and a care perspective, some human involvement in efficacy studies. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you both so much for talking with me about the wonders of the next year or 10 years might bring. There's really no way to predict for certain, but both of these sound like they would be of great benefit to patients in speeding up drug discovery. Absolutely. And thank you very much, Mary. Thank you, Mary. Thank you. Thank you.